all language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. How are you feeling? Your latest workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a metaphoric to help and heal human beings. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Alright, hello, welcome everyone to Star Wars from the Back to Tank. I am Michael, your host, and in the studio and the back to waters with me, clinging very tightly to his microphone, is David. Hello, Dave. Hello, everybody. All right, so today we're going to be discussing The Mandalorian, because this is the Mandalorian edition of our broadcast. And we have quite the episode to break down and discuss today. Chapter 11, The Heiress, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. She has returned to grace us with her red-headed hot presence, written by John Favreau. All right, the synopsis. The Mandalorian braves high seas and meets unexpected allies. All right, Dave. So this episode quickly took an unexpected turn. Very, very unexpected. As we quickly were given a vital, or some vital information that definitely helped us understand the setting and the world of the Mandalorian a bit more. They addressed questions, questions that we have had since the very first episode, right? Yeah, basically, I'm glad that they got. we finally got to the point to explain some of the Mandalorian's cultural uh, cultural differences that yeah. we know as Star Wars fans. Yeah. It's something they needed to do. We have been griping and going on and on about it. Like, hey, listen, they're going to have to explain this eventually. Because the Mandalorians we all know from Clone Wars and Rebels, this this isn't a thing. None of this is similar. It's all very different. And we find out why that is. Why things are the way they are. As we've said, there seemed to have been a disconnect from previous stories that involve Mandalorians from the Clone Wars as well as Rebels. But now we know a lot of the differences is simply because Dejeren is a member of a radical group of Mandalorians known as the Watch. And I actually dig that. I actually really like that explanation because it it really shows that the, the Mandalorian culture is more varied and diverse than just simply being a warrior warrior race which is also very realistic when you look at uh, society and history whenever you have a group or an organization or let's say a religion that's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years there are always offshoots yes there are always radical versions of the main dogmatic belief or faith so this is very Similar to that. It's also in the vein of Star Wars. We've seen offshoots continually of different groups. I mean, look at the Jedi specifically. Yeah. And we have the Bindu. We have the Sith. We have the Jedi. There are so many versions of force wielders out there. We've barely even really honestly in this era of Star Wars. I don't even think we've even scraped the surface yet. No. And it's one of those things that basically me and you have been really positive on on the new era of Star Wars is. They're trying to show that the universe is a, a vast place. There's differences. There's different ways of using the force and stuff like that. Taking that and transitioning it over to the Mandalorian culture, yeah. I thought was a good idea because if you are going to actually make this universe feel vast and feel like we can find find some semblance of like uniqueness right. within Star Wars and not be st- not have like things fall into a stereotype then making it vast like this and showing how diverse a culture like the Mandalor- Mandalorians were is actually a freely brilliant idea. Well, 
even the the powers that be that greenlit this series, it's a good call for a lot of reasons. I mean, the Mandalorians, Dave, and tell me if I'm wrong or you disagree. Outside of the Jedi, the Mandalorians in general are probably the second go to for a lot of Star Wars fans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because like if you look at like the fans of, say, the Old Republic. Oh, yeah. Mandalorians are everywhere. Yeah. And there's a uh, there's a very strong following <laughs> or a cult following of yeah. the Mandalorian uh Mandalorian uh mythos in Star Wars. Oh yeah, yeah. That can even rival like the 501st. Yeah. That's how that's I agree with you. It's kind of like if it's if you had a choice between the the or rank the Jedi's, the Force users and everything, Mandalorians are probably at least in top uh top four well in star wars it's in always star wars. in star wars it's always going to be what the jedi the jedi the and Sith, the Sith. the mandalorians the underworld yes you know, the, the bounty hunters the smugglers the splicers those people are always going to be or th- those groups of individuals are always great for stories in terms of star wars fans it's definitely what a lot of us want and it's nice to get a series that's actually exploring one of those avenues besides the the go-to, the, the Jedi. Go-tos. And don't get me wrong, for me, the, the my favorite element of Star Wars is always going to be the mystical element. It's always going to be the Jedi element. Yeah. And that's why The Mandalorian ended up piquing my interest because when it first came out during the first season, absolutely I was interested. But if you remember, Dave, what did I say? I said, ah, man, The Mandalorian stuff is going to be cool, but we got to have some type of you know spiritual connection, something pertaining to the Jedi or the Force in order for it to really work for me. And sure enough, in that first episode, we get the baby Yoda character. Yes. And that's why I was sold. I'm like, okay, this is, this is definitely the series for me. This, the, from, from the get go, we are in, we get that feeling that this is a star Wars story because you have the elements that are there that are familiar with star Wars, but you're taking elements that aren't very familiar and actually putting it out there in a yeah. unique way. And so, especially for the mainstream, because the Mandalorian is the Mandalorians for the most part are, are not even a thing no, to the mainstream. I mean, the, Mandal- the the mainstream no- literally know nothing about Mandalorians. Oh, yeah, because if you would ask a mainstream fan, the only thing that they would say is, oh, yeah, you mean like that guy, the, the Boba Fett? Well, in fact, and that's what people thought this character was, was going to be. Was, yeah, that's who they thought he was, was Boba Fett, when they were first promoting it. All right, Dave, so we do have a lot of things to discuss today. Even though some elements may seem superficial, they are not. Firstly, people that haven't invested time in the other iterations of Star Wars besides the movies have no idea how relevant Bo-Katan really is. Yes. She's been literally connected to it all. When I say all, I mean everything. Her story is interwoven within Clone Wars. She worked against the Jedi. and then with the Jedi worked with Maul and then against Maul. She's one of those characters that can be used. And this is something that I've continually said we need in a show like this. She's one of those characters that can be used as a key to the bigger world of star Wars. Oh yeah. That element that opens up, opens up new avenues, new possibilities of story. Uh, when you look at the grander picture of Star Wars uh, in terms of the mainstream, I mean, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Leia, they represent such a small part. Darth Vader represents such a small part of Star Wars, of the Star Wars story. And Bo-Katana is just as relevant in in the bigger picture of Star Wars than, say, Princess Leia. Oh, yeah. And, and Luke Skywalker. It's amazing to me that the fact that Katie Sackhoff started with this character well a lot of people don't realize that so tell tell people what you mean and katie because bo katan started in clone wars and it was originally voiced by katie sackoff right and dude it would have been a fucking outrage if they didn't actually cast <laughs> katie sackoff like, right oh absolutely like, especially what the fuck how are you gonna have her be the actual voice actor but then you don't bring her on for the actual live action especially, version dude it seems like katie sackoff has not aged a bit god she's so hot she's still she still dude, looks she is the great part. this is gonna sound very creepy but she has great skin she has great skin <laughs> complexion that, that is kind of creepy but i want to lick her face <laughs> lick her face give me your face but like the the fact Put the that, lotion on the skin. 
<laughs> because do you realize that out of all the character creations that Dave Filoni ever created, yeah, Bo-Katan's the first one we get to actually fully see in live action form, even before Ahsoka, it's Bo-Katan. That's right, Dave. And oh, well, hold on a second. Let's look through this. Think about Is it. Is she the first Clone Wars character that's not, say, a legacy character? No, that's not a legacy character. That's transitioned to live action. Live action? Is she? She is. When you think about it, everyone was thinking that, oh, we're going to see Sabine. We're going to see Ahsoka first. Dude, no, that's it's quite, That's quite the claim. That's quite the claim to fame for Katie Sackhoff. Yeah. She's the first one to transition from animation to live action. And that says a lot. I mean, like, especially for that character before this, I never would think of putting Bo-Katan up there when it comes to relevant Filoni created characters up there with say Ahsoka, Ezra, any of the characters from rebels, any of them. Yeah. But, but after this, I'm like going, well, wait a minute. Bo-Katan is actually just like what you said. She's connected to everything. She's she, been there. Dude, her story is literally interwoven within all of our major characters. Yeah. Obi-Wan, Anakin, She's been there since Darth the beginning. Maul, and now the Mandalorian. And now the Ahsoka Mandalorian. Ahsoka Tano. That's the, the greatest thing about this episode for me is it's that sheer Star Wars like giddiness. I'm like, holy shit, dude. This is what we've been told that we're going to get. Since the, since 2012, the yep. interconnected universe, the how interconnected the books universe. and the comic books are all going to matter and everything is going to be intertwined. And the Mandalorian is the first show to actually truly do it solo. I, I will give credit where credit's due. Solo was definitely one of those movies that were leading us in that direction. Unfortunately, because of the hate on last Jedi, a lot of people were protesting Star Wars and Kathleen Kennedy and refused to yeah. go see Solo. And many of them wanted to punch themselves later when they saw it on Blu-ray because they said, holy shit, this movie is actually really good. But even even with even with the even with Solo in the picture, when it comes to actually connecting the entire Star Wars universe. This is actually a really important moment because it is. Bo-Katan is actually from Clone Wars. She was created by Dave Filoni. Yeah, we can actually say, well, in episode one, we got uh, Bash. We got, we, we, got, we got the one character played by yeah, Timothy Oliphant. But, he but was, he's from the books. He's from the books. He's not nearly as relevant. And he's, one of, he, he's a barely... His character has been barely made... I think for the past two years. No, Bo-Katan is, Bo is, is completely in there. She yeah. is one of those characters. She's from Clone Wars. Yeah, dude, it's pretty exciting to have her involved in the series. And and we're going to get into this a bit more, but at least they also didn't just do a, a Boba Fett thing from episode one this season where it's just, hey, I'm in the background. Looking cool. <laughs> looking cool, and that's it, and that's all we're gonna get. No. And we're and I'm, we're still waiting for story aspect. Well, listen, cameos are great, and introductions to you know potentially potential story aspects is fan, fine. But yeah, I'm I'm from the school of thought of if it doesn't help the story, remove it. I mean, that's how in film school. That's the first thing I learned in screenwriting 101. If there is no point for this at this time. There's no reason no to reason. include it. You cut it. And at least with Bo-Katan, she had a part to play. Because now we know why Favaro and his genius of writing chose to have the Mando track down Mandalorians. Yeah. Now it makes sense because he was trying to connect this bridge. Because these would be the ones that could lead him to the Jedi. And we'll get back to that in a, a little bit later in our show. And now, I honestly, I honestly felt that I thought Boba Fett was going to be that character to, to kind of guide the Mandalorian. It would make sense. And right? it would, uh, because it would make sense. He's a Mandalorian as well. No, he's but, not a Mandalorian. Well, he's, he's tied to the Mandalorian. He's not a Mandalorian, Dave. You bite your tongue, sir. <laughs> and it could have opened up have other, lies it could have opened this up show. other, other avenues. Yeah. But, when I saw this, I was like going, but if they wanted a straight connection to Mandalorian 
mythos. I that's, thought you were going to say a straight yeah. character. I was that's like, straight oh, character. listen, Dave, I'm all for, you know, <laughs> gay rights, Dave, so you bite your tongue again, sir. <laughs> but if they wanted a connection to Star Wars mythos, <laughs> an actual connection, yeah. connecting Bo-Katan is actually the perfect thing. Well, especially with what they have going on. I mean, her introduction was handled barely. I mean, it was fine. It was from, fine. From, uh, hey, this is what we're doing with this character perspective. It works fine. Character arc would appear to connect with Armando's, which works. She's in search of the Darksaber and looked to be waging some war against Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon. And Moff Gideon, as we know, wants to get his hands on the child. And he also is in possession of the Darksaber. Yeah. And so bringing her in of all characters from the Clone Wars era at this point from Filoni's previous stories does work and does make sense. The moment the Darksaber was introduced during that season finale in those waning moments where we all jizzed ourselves, we knew this was going to we knew this was around right around the corner that we were going to start bringing in the Mandalorian culture and start explaining things. Fairly quickly because you don't bring these types of elements into a show unless you're going to address it. Unless you like the Boba Fett aspect is is still suspect. Uh, the The jury is still out on that, or the verdict, I should say. The verdict is still out on that. But with Bo Katana, it absolutely makes sense why she was she would be intertwined within the story, especially because we're dealing with the Mandalorian, the people themselves. Right. So it's nice to see them branch out in a big way, essentially. Uh, This is our first big connect, as you had said, other than some Easter eggs or cameos uh, when it comes to the Mandalorian. So this is the way, Dave, and and not taking the helmet have also been explained. And it looks as if our Mando was raised by a Mando cult called The Watch. The Watch. Not the Death Watch. The watch. Well, don't, yeah. Don't confuse people. <laughs> don't Dave. confuse people. The Death Watch, now that Dave brought it up, <laughs> I was trying to make this show appropriate for the layman as well, Dave. But essentially, the Death Watch is a group that Bo Katan was also a part of at some point within Star Wars history. And that's all I'm going to say at this time. Maybe we'll do a Bo Katan show later. That'd be fun. If we feel like she ends up being really relevant. Within this series this season, maybe at the end of the season, we can jump into some Bo-Katan episodes from Clone Wars and Rebels and really get into her character and the relevance she actually brings to the Mandalorian. Yeah. So essentially, let's break down what this Mando cult is. The Watch. They broke away from Mandalorian society at some point in history within Mandalorian history to reestablish the ancient way. This does explain a lot. And I am thankful that we finally received this bit of information. It's been nagging at me for a very long time. It explains why. Jaren is completely unfamiliar with the Jedi, which was just starting to bother me. It explains why the armorer spoke of the Jedi as something simply from eons past. We had speculated for a very long time on that, Dave. Why is she talking as if they haven't been around just a few years back? That is another part of the mystery. Why are we acting like the Jedi... And the Mandalorians don't have a very intersected, intersected history that dates, as far as we know, based on canon, as far back as the Clone Wars. And yet their armorer is talking as if it's ancient, ancient, ancient past. past. So yeah. now that we know that they are cut off from society, from their society, this makes a lot more sense. And the aspects that were introduced last year work and they don't irritate me as much now because we have this excuse of the cult. Yeah. Now the watch seem to have isolated themselves. They could, this could also explain why this tribes Mandalorian covert believed in staying underground and only letting one person up at a time. They were in covens. Yeah. They're called coverts. Yeah. 
See, you threw me off last week when you said coven. So I'm like, that's what's wit- that's what that's witches, Dave. Yeah, I, I I realized that when I was re-listening, I'm like, I meant coverts. Yeah, and then I I searched it. I'm like, I don't think it was coven. Although I didn't argue because it sounded kind of right. So I looked it up afterwards. It's it was they were called um, covert. Covert. Yeah. So something this show has suffered from is establishing proper characterization for. De- for Dejerin. Yes. The nature of the show, of course, is be, that's the nature of the show. The whole, the helmet thing and how he can't take his helmet off. It doesn't, it's built into the story that he yes. can't take his helmet off. But because of that, it doesn't work great for nuance. Yes. We don't get a lot. However, it was clear, and I did like this part in terms of directing, it was clear that he did not like hearing that his group of Mandalorians were part of a cult. A cult, yeah. That was very obvious when he chose to take his ball and go home. And go home. <laughs> Literally. He's like, screw you guys, and left. Interestingly, we also get a bit a better snapshot of the galaxy's political landscape. This was also very much needed. Bo-Katan tells Dejerin that he shouldn't believe everything that he's heard because their enemies wish to keep their people divided. I was happy to hear this because this falls into that category that we talk about a lot when discussing the tactics of the Empire. And also we've used that excuse, the tactics of the Empire, to justify a lot of reasons why the Mandalorian and the galaxy as a whole may not know certain things about the Jedi or things that we've actually seen in Star Wars films, right? Oh, yeah, because like it, it ties into the whole point that we we saw in stories like in Clone Wars and Rebels where the Empire wanted to divide everybody. They wanted to cause infighting, whether it's the Mandalorians, whether it's the Jedi, their whole strategy in facing certain armies was to cause infighting and cause civil war amongst their amongst the their opposing forces. Well, that's the foremost tactic that the Empire uses. That's how Palpatine took control of the entire galaxy. Exactly. So that's why I like that. When she says her enemies or their enemies wish to spread lies essentially to yes. keep their people divided and keep them separated. And I was happy because this falls into that category. We talk about a lot. The empire always controls the narrative to create lies, keep people from knowing the truth. This creates discord and confusion. This is something we've seen in comic books, oh, yeah. books, video games where the empire will do everything and anything to snuff out any evidence that the Jedi existed why wouldn't they do the same thing with the Mandalorians if the Mandalorians proved to be a threat? Exactly. Let's keep them divided. Let's make them think that they cannot come together for whatever reason. So that worked for me a lot. It did help with, again, that disconnect. I have felt for a while now that the Mandalorian is off in its own, like, side continuity, it felt at times. Yes. And that kept bothering me because when we have the cohesiveness of the comic books that are just so good the comics are amazing right now yeah the books are fantastic and there's so much cohesiveness between books comics movies and then here comes mandalorian and it feels like it's its own separate con- continuity at times and it just really gets under my skin and now that they're exploring the the larger scope of the universe, I feel better about the series, even though the writing is still suspect. Uh, yeah, it's still suspect, but at least they are willing to start connecting the dots so that we understand the layout because we don't even understand the layout of our setting quite yet. Yeah. We don't know what this world's really about. We know, because we've watched Return of the Jedi, that they're in the midst of a a power vacuum of sorts. The New Republic is still trying to grab hold uh, of some type of control and power of the galaxy. The Empire is is falling apart. So this episode brought, I feel like, much needed... Connection. Yes, connection. They're filling those holes a bit. Yeah, because, like, I'm with you. I mean... 
after watching this, that particularly with this that scene where she's explaining to the Mandalorian about how the enemy doesn't want us unified, basically, it really puts it into like the stories that we saw in Rebels and Clone Wars with mm-hmm. with particularly more in Rebels. The fact that I started thinking about it, most of Rebels, like a lot of the fighting takes place surrounded by controlling communication towers. Right. Yeah. Remember, that's how it first started with the, with the rebels crew. They took down a, re, yeah. a communication tower. Then all of a sudden they had to maintain their own communication tower to get Ezra's message out there to, to, to bring together the rebel Alliance. Right. It's about controlling it's about the, the flow of information, the flow of information. Yeah. And like, I like, I, uh, when we got to that point, I was like, okay, all right. I like that little connection. You made me actually remember as a Star Wars fan that this is something that is a ongoing theme during this time period. Yeah. Yeah, we needed it. Yeah. I mean, we're how many episodes in technically? 11? Yeah, technically uh, 11 chapters. Yeah. Oh, yeah, chapters. I chapters. forgot. Don't forget, we're yeah, chapters. chapters. We're 11 chapters in, and it's... It's definitely time. <laughs> it's definitely time to get a, an idea of, of what we're working in. Typically, these types of things are included around episode seven, maybe six. Not all the answers. Obviously, we're dealing with a show, a series that's ongoing, and we don't want to know everything right away. That would be no fun as well. But yeah. I'm glad. I'm not going to complain, Dave. I'm not going to complain. Okay. I swear to God. <laughs> but it, it just, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's relief. I should say that finally we got some release. Uh, yeah. Some things that explain <laughs> things that honestly we probably should have known because they're not like major spoiler type reveals. It's things that you, that most writers and TV shows establish from the get go. This is the layout. This is how everything works. Every TV show works to establish its world. Yeah. And with The Mandalorian, it was just zero to 60 with no actual setup. It was just like, hey, Baby Yoda, shooting. Let's go to the next mission. Shooting, Baby Yoda. Let's go to the next mission. Let's go to the next mission. Hey, shooting, Baby Yoda. Let's go to the next mission. We need to slow things down. And even though this episode, the pacing wasn't amazing at least they were willing to give us a moment to catch our breath and allow us to take in the world and learn a little bit yeah because the the one thing that i will say the issues with the pacing and the writing it's for me it's a lot of teasing and it's like as a as you're you're just basically telling the audience hey you're gonna get we're gonna get there soon we're gonna get there soon I'm happy that they didn't. I was expecting this just the way it, the story has been formatted so far. If you include season one. Right. I was thinking that this was going to be mid season stuff. Right. Like yeah. we, I was like, uh, say, okay, we're not going to get this till like, you know, episode six or seven. I, I think you were already given up. <laughs> You're like, well, we'll probably get this in chapter 77. <laughs> 77. <laughs> Boba Fett will be around chapter 178. <laughs> I'm yeah. not, I'm not sure about that because we got like one season. There was one little tiny clip of Boba Fett walking along the sand. And then we've got, we, uh, we had to wait an entire season to get to season two, the beginning of season two. And then we come back to Boba Fett. <laughs> so Let's maybe see. we'll go another season. Yeah. Well, Dave, just simmer down. <laughs> So this introduction of Bogotan led to an introduction to something many of the fans have been waiting for, and that is Ahsoka Tano. That's right, Dave. Yep. The Mando's journey has led us to Tano. And she is located on Kaladin, on the forest planet of Corvus. We have no history Pertaining to this planet. No, it is it's brand 100% new. 100% brand new. So that's exciting as well. It giving is. us some new planets to delve into and discover. And how can you not be excited 
for a chance to hear Ahsoka Tano's name in yes. a live action series. And dude, how exciting would it be to see this? Because we've had the connection of Bo-Katan to the mm-hmm. past series of Rebels and and uh, Clone Wars. How cool would it be to see a connection for Ahsoka to the story of Ezra finally? Well, dude, I think we're going to get there, man. I mean, there was a reason why, in retrospect, when you look at the story Filoni told in the final season of Clone Wars, and you just saw how wrapped up Bo-Katana and Ahsoka Tano were. Yeah. They were assisting each other, helping each other. It feels like almost like a preview to this. And I'm hoping they do it right, Dave, because if they don't get Tano right, Ahsoka Tano right. Oh, someone's going to die. The, dude, the whole world will riot. <laughs> they will riot. John Favaro will never get a job again. You think Ryan Johnson had it bad? Oh, if you mess up Ahsoka? If you mess up Ahsoka, everyone's favorite character, arguably, Dave, that, more more liked than Luke Skywalker. That's why I'm telling you, do if you really you fuck this up, <laughs> Filoni and Favaro, you will never work in this town again. Do you think, do you think now up to this point, we've had Favaro writing and helming the writing team. We're approaching a Ahsoka episode. Do you think Filoni is going to actually let him write episode? I don't think he has Ahsoka? a choice, Dave, because Favaro is the showrunner. Although I hope. Someone else writes it. Favreau can't write. I will be TV. shocked. I, I'll tell you right now. I will be shocked if Dave Filoni's name is not on the episode. I will be shocked. I think Filoni's trying to respect Favreau's position. He's being professional. So unless Favreau asks him for help, Filoni is going to take a backseat, dude. He but, might direct it. We can see him directing. That would be that, that. I could see that. I would love to see more writers involved, honestly, in this series, because having more writers would do nothing but help this show. Oh, absolutely. You, you never. Don't, yeah, I, I don't want to get into this negative yeah, territory. We're but, not going to go there. No, but we Favro needs help. And I'm hoping eventually someone will look past the success from a superficial standpoint and say, well, uh, people love it on social media. I'm hoping at some point someone says, Hey, uh, the, there's some problems with your writing. Let's get a writing team in there and actually hammer out a season with a group because Favreau is definitely struggling because even though this episode gave us a lot of things that we needed, there were some, some writing issues. It just, it's very bumpy. It's, it's like riding in a roller coaster. It's just very uneven. You know the roller yeah. coasters in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dune where you're almost going off the edge and yeah. go, you're barely hanging on. You're on two wheels and you bounce back to four. Then you go to two wheels and then you have short round, you know, telling, you know, the blonde lady, he's Dr. Jones to you, ma'am. <laughs> and he's hitting you with something like that's what I feel like when I'm watching The Mandalorian. It just feels like we're going to fly right off the edge. Yeah. Because but- it's not written very uh, consistent it's just the pacing is way off it, yeah it is it's so i'm hoping we get some help with that and i would love for someone else to write the next episode you know if we are in fact going to see ahsoka tano next episode I, I would love to get another writer in there and, and someone who just knows how to write an episode because they got to do this right oh yeah they, they have to do this right I, I i agree with you because especially since how popular and important the character of Ahsoka is to new Star Wars fans. All the Star Wars fans out there, just like what you said, hold that character in such regard that she's up there against Luke Skywalker. And people might think people might say that oh that's that that's crazy. That's no way. Look around, look at the new Star Wars fans. All of them gravitate towards the Clone Wars characters. And Ahsoka is the number one Clone Wars character. Absolutely. Without a doubt. No one can argue that, Dave. No. All right, let's go to a quick break. And then when we get back, we'll jump into some theories and a potential connection to Star Wars Rebels. And then our final thoughts. We'll be right back.
right, make sure you head over to patreon.com slash Digital and get more Star Wars from the Back to Tank discussions every single month. From comic book discussions to book reviews to bonus discussions. All centered around Star Wars. So make sure to go to patreon.com and pledge $5 or more a month and gain access to more Star Wars discussions. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. No, 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 you must die. All right, welcome back, everyone, to Star Wars from the Back to Tank. I am Michael, your host, and I'm flying in a speeder, and I'm targeting womp rats, and I'm eating eggs <laughs> from the frog lady because they're good, and it's funny. People like funny, right? Yeah. Well, it's funny to eat frog eggs, right? Oh, it, it, it's hilarious. It's so it's so hilarious and cute. And I want to be hilarious and cute. So I'm going to go to eat those those eggs. All right, Dave. So theory time. My younger brother had called me right after this episode and dropped a theory on me. Which makes sense. It's based on deductive reasoning. And I would agree with this thought. He thinks that this moment when the Mandalorian meets with Tano is actually the moment we saw at the end of Star Wars Rebels when she decides with Sabine to go look for Ezra. Because if you remember, we don't actually know when that time time is right. We We just all we know that she says Ahsoka says or Sabine says in the voiceover at the end of Rebels that finally at the end of the war and the Empire was defeated we decided to continue our search for Ezra. That could be at any time. That could be 10 years. That could be two years. Yeah. We had assumed just because it felt like that that it was you know right after the fall of the empire. But if Ahsoka has been hiding, which go that actually fits a little better with what we know of Ahsoka. Yes. And for people that aren't aware of what Ahsoka has been doing and why she's hiding uh, between the events of rebels, which you need to watch rebels and I'm not going to spoil it for you because I want you to go watch it. But essentially she should have died. Somehow she was saved. I'm not going to get into the, the nitty gritty because it will destroy everything for you and you'll hate me later. She essentially is um, saved when she should have died. And in order to not create any problems that shouldn't have been there because of her existence, she chooses to remove herself and to hide. That's why she doesn't take part in the new hope, the war of, or I should say the war between the rebels and the empire. So something important, Dave, has to bring her out of that, right? Yes. There has to be something big enough to make her say, okay, now it's safe for me to return to society and no longer hide because now possibly I won't change things in terms of time and what things should have been. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, right, with this whole Baby Yoda thing. And the question is, is Ahsoka Tano going to know anything about Baby Yoda species? Because as far as we know, she does not. Uh, she might not, but it'd be it'd be really surprising if she doesn't recognize it at least. Well, no, she'll definitely <laughs> recognize for sure, and I'm sure she'll sense the force around the creature. And yeah, having her included uh, is a is a definitely a win. 
And it's a an amazing way to bring relevance to the Mandalorian in a big way, in a oh, way absolutely. that's been missing. So bringing a Tano, Ahsoka Tano in is going to be huge. It's going to answer a lot of questions. It's also going to create questions. I'm sure she's not going to have all the details pertaining to Yoda's species. No. I'm sure a lot of that information has also been destroyed. So we're going to be – we're not – next week's episode or whenever we see Ahsoka isn't going to be – Jaren just handing baby Yoda to her and say, all right, see you later. I'm see gone. Later. <laughs> Adios. It's going to turn into a much bigger mission. I'm sure that's oh, going yeah. to include Tano, right? It has to. It has to. We it has to. When you introduce Ahsoka, like Bo-Katana or Bo-Katan is important. Yeah. But it's understandable. Hey, one episode in, we'll see her in two or three episodes. Maybe, especially now that we've connected her to the dark saber, she's not going anywhere. She's now included. But yes. with Ahsoka, is she really a character? This big of a name. Do we really want to see her once or twice and then shrug? I'm like, all right, see you later. Especially, especially like with the with the inclusion of let's let's face it, since episode one of season one, everyone knew this was an important moment in Star Wars lore was actually seeing a child of Leota's species suddenly right. appear. Yes. So this has to mean something. When Ahsoka meets the child, because it has to. I li- they, like your reasoning. It has to mean something because it has to. Because like because that's how important it. that's how important this this manifestation of the child is. Well, I agree, Dave, and that's why I'm getting a little nervous because you know I'm the pessimistic and not very optimistic. I start to worry, and even though these are things I wanted, yeah. now I'm scared. Now you're scared. These are big things. Because these aren't these aren't little things, Dave. Tano is way more relevant than Boba Fett. I can give two shits whether or not <laughs> Boba Fett's in this series or not. Yes. It, listen, it's cool, and I'll take it if you give it to me. But honestly, I can give two shits. Well, here's the Ahsoka thing. Tano. Now you can't fuck this up. Yeah. Here's the thing about Ahsoka being brought into the picture. Here is so if Ahsoka realizes that the child is here. And she sees the significance of a, of a baby of Yoda species. Then the question becomes, well, what about other force users? Why aren't other force users cognizant of this? Well, also, it's going to bring into question uh, the aspects of cloning and whether exactly. or not you can clone. Think of all the questions. I mean, we kind of already got that answer, I guess. That was a question that we had last season. Can you clone a Jedi and the Jedi have midichlorians? Can they touch the force yeah, well the force episode nine essentially addressed that with palpatine's clones yes or is it his essence though maybe it isn't exactly his soul goes into the clone look how look how far reaching the child just the, the show up the yeah. child is it, like the and, whole and concept. we're also assuming we're also assuming he was cloned although i can't imagine they would introduce that imperial officer in the very first episode the very first episode ep- was the first episode yeah i can't imagine them including that that officer with the camino badge exactly if it didn't have something to do with cloning with cloning so this will also be something we now need to gravitate towards and start fleshing out and perhaps with ahsoka's inclusion into the story maybe these are avenues that we can start exploring a little faster oh yeah and like one of the things that even makes me nervous is like simply connecting it to rebels the explanation like what everyone's been wondering what is it that basically pushes ahsoka and sabine to go out and finally after return of the jedi to to say hey Let's go find Ezra. Yeah, right. We have to find Ezra. Got to be something that motivated her, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like going. It can't this just is... be. It can't just be simply. All right. I guess it's been a few years. Let's go look for Ezra. This is actually a good way of giving her an excuse. A mo- motivator. Motivator. In writing, it's called a motivator. And maybe Dave. I hope it's not. But maybe this will just be simply the way to introduce her character and then create her own series. I would be worried if it was just simply that. Well, it, I don't mind if this leads to her own series. That would be fine. Something that explores what happened to Ezra. That's definitely something we need. We already know that. You you ended Rebels with a huge cliffhanger, cliffhanger. and never really answer certain questions because we had all assumed, oh, there's going to be a third installment of Filoni's, you know, trilogy of series, essentially. Um, so if they want to 
kicked that ball around in this show, The Mandalorian, for two, three episodes and then give Ahsoka closure within this story and then have it be a setup for her own series, essentially a backdoor pilot, then that'll definitely work as well. All right, Dave, final thoughts. Why don't you start us off this week? Okay. Uh, now we get to the nitty gritty. Oh, Dave. <laughs> well, I'll start off with my score just right off the bat. Okay, go for it. I'm going to give this episode a 60. Oh, that's a huge improvement over 45. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. That's what I was going to bring up. It is an improvement. It's an improvement. I know for a lot of people out there, they might be saying, why did you just score it a second week in a row low, David? David, they're they're not asking that. What they're doing now is searching uh, for your address <laughs> so they can go and kill your <laughs> baby Yoda hating <laughs> ass. Pretty much. And listen, thing- we, we've never gotten hate mail before. Until we start doing discussions on Mandalorian. Exactly. Dude, we've gotten so much people hating on us for the first season. I'm like, listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you you love guns and action. That's fun. That's fun. What are you, five? Yeah. Give me some story. I love that stuff too, but give me some story. Give me some story. Yeah. And I'm not going to just stand here and give it a 97. Why not? Everyone is doing. What do you mean everyone's doing? Oh, if you look at the scores that it's getting, dude, no, this shut up. episode. No. no, they're not, Dave. You're lying. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes, not, latest score, 91. Hmm. So Interesting. What, what what I'm going to say I would love is, to. Are those critics or fans? I don't know. The, the score itself is a, uh, it says here it's a combination of the two. Hmm. So the thing I going to preface is while everything we just said in this episode was positive this those were the positives of this episode i'm not going to ignore the writing questions the mechanics you can't it still has pacing issues it still feels weird when you look at the writing and you basically see some of the deliveries especially some of the stuff that we have been positive on, which is explanation of the Mandalorian's differences with other Mandos. It was a really good job. They basically went in and said, we're going to answer this question. Okay. But the execution is what bothered me because I'm sorry. When it comes to writing, show us, don't tell us exposition heavy. It was very exposition heavy. Thankfully, Katie Sackhoff is a great actress. So she was able to actually cover up the expo- uh, exposition dump with good acting. <laughs> she was one of the bright spots of the whole episode was her acting was brilliant on yeah. the, this episode. Yeah, I agree. So the writing for me took it down a notch. The acting besides Katie Sackhoff, I have to say. The cinematography took a back step because there were a couple of shots that I felt really were unnecessary. David, you're being a douche. <laughs> <laughs> they, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is just, I'm breaking it down as professionally as I can because I refuse to be those, those, those critics out there that basically just slap a 90 on it and say, this is the greatest thing on earth when it's not. It's a fun it's a fun series. I'm having fun watching it. Dude, it's it's got a 9.2 on IMDb, Dave. <laughs> so obviously you don't know what you're talking about. I don't about. know what I'm talking about. You're an asshole. <laughs> so and then, you know, like I have to say, I'm glad that the rumors that basically Sasha Banks was going to be Sabine Wren have been proven false. Right. I'm glad about that. Yeah. I love I love Sasha Banks. I'm a big fan of her. I love I love her work in WWE and wrestling. Mm-hmm. Her acting skills are less than adequate. Right. So they did <laughs> they did what was needed. They, they did focus on other needed. people. Yeah. They focused on other people and they didn't give her anything dialogue heavy that would show her her weaknesses in front of a camera. Katie Sackoff, that's why I thought she was a godsend in this episode because number one, we have still yet to see Pedro Pascal's face 
<laughs> so we can't really judge his acting. And then you finally brought in someone similar to like an episode one when you bring in a Timothy Oliphant. You bring in a veteran Did actor. Did you see Timothy Oliphant? Oliphant. Oliphant? Oliphant. <laughs> I like elephants <laughs> and bears and rhinos. So from a 45 from the last episode, which I hated, I still hate to this day. Uh, Jesus, Dave, so evil. This episode went up a tick. You got up to the 60s. Now let's see if we could get up another 20 points to the 80s, which I'm really hoping it gets into the 80 range, especially with Ahsoka coming up. All right. <laughs> all right, now, Dave. All Star Wars fans can fu- can search for Did me. you say fuck you? <laughs> wow, Dave, you just didn't grab your ankles for him? All right, guys, I know what I said. is isn't, you know, very nice. So you guys can all fuck me now if you want. <laughs> wink, wink. This will be fun for me. <laughs> all right. Um, Dave, I agree with some of the things you said, but I, I'm not going to grade the episode nearly as harshly as you. This for me was a 74%. You got to remember last week I rated the episode 61% and it was yeah. pretty bad, but I gave you that score because of the visual effects were pretty fucking amazing. Uh, this episode still taking that, that grading template that I use into effect here. It's a 74% because the visual effects are fucking amazing Uh, The inclusion of much needed story explanation. This is what I've been wanting. The story has needed it. We needed to push the fucking plot forward, but not just the plot of an episode or the show story, but the bigger story of star Wars needed to be pushed forward. I know that it's the idea of it being in its own little corner of the galaxy. Listen, that, that, that worked if you're dealing with the Mandalorian. The moment you introduce Baby Yoda, all bets are off. You're not dealing with a, a far corner of, of the, the galaxy universe. anymore. You're now dealing with something entirely relevant to the world of Star Wars. And that's why it kind of, you know, bothered me during the first season. So we're getting answers. We're moving the story along. And yes, I do agree with you. The writing was not stellar. It's inconsistent. Uh, even the way they introduced the characters just felt out of nowhere. There was no, there's no, nothing is handled gently when it comes to Favo's writing. And I know we say we need this information and he gave it to us and then we're complaining. I'm not complaining. I'm saying that he gives us information and like drops it on us like a rock from the top of the Empire State Building. Here you go. bottom line i think the biggest problem with this series and it would be resolved i think that you know what would fix every pro every single issue i have would be fixed if they just brought in consistent running times yeah and yeah. the reason why if you're gonna do 30 minute episodes then do 30 minute episodes if you're gonna do 45 minute episodes then do 45 minute episodes But this back and forth between 60 minutes, 40 minutes, 30 minutes, 27 minutes, what you're doing is you're not holding yourself accountable as a writer. If you gave yourself a time limit and said, hey, 30 minutes, I have 30 minutes of running time to tell this story. You know what you're going to see yourself doing? You're going to write a very tight story. You're going to get rid of the unnecessary And you're only going to fill in what's needed. That's the most beautiful thing about running time. Because you're forced to work within a confinement. There's very few showrunners. And this is not saying Favreau is is a shitty writer by by any means. Very very few people can write that way. Can write, hey, you know what? I'm going to write 77-minute episodes and then 100-minute episodes. There's two showrunners that can do that that I know of off the top of my head. One of them is Vince Gilligan, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. And the other is Kurt Sutter from Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, I would put those two there. That guy, especially Kurt Sutter, he would write two-hour episodes sometimes. And then the next episode would be 57 minutes. And then the next episode would be 92 minutes. minutes. With The Mandalorian... 
Bob Rowe doesn't understand the nuances of writing within a time limit. No. And because of that, he's kind of all over the place. And if he held himself to a specific time, you would see Favreau working a lot harder. Yes. To, to keep his stories tight. And that's my biggest problem, Dave. If if he was just a little tighter with his writing, everything would work. Because there's moments in this episode as well that I was like, you didn't need that scene. When the Mandalorian flew away after they told him he's part of a cult. Yeah. And he flew away. And then 30 seconds later, we get the exact same scene again with the group of Mandalorians helping him fight people. Like, why did why did we show that scene? You literally could have asked for his help on the boat. On the boat. <laughs> There's things that are done in this show that I. That simply feel like, hey, I don't know what to write next, so I'm just going to kind of write this scene here because it seems cool right that's the thing it, no. it, it it's writing because you're writing with your emotions you're writing just to write yeah yeah and that's why i said a few weeks ago or even last week i i think i said it felt it feels like a first draft because that's how first drafts are written so and and that's why i think the series frustrates me a little bit dave is because i know we we kind of take it to task <laughs> You know, and people may get mad at us, but these, I think the most thing, the thing that's mostly frustrating about this is that they're not big issues, but because they're consistently there, they become big issues. And and it really hurts the, the, the product when you get to see it, because it's kind of like, it goes back to like what you said about in the last episode where it feels like it's, I remember you saying it feels like it's a role-playing D&D campaign. The Mandalorian gets, uh, gets this mission. He goes over here. That's it. And then rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And it feels like it's being loosely told by a, a role-playing game. Yeah. So this is, that's what happens in this episode, because like, just like you said, you get this moment where he meets the three Mandalorians. They tell him about him, him, why couldn't they ask him for help then? Instead, we have to actually go through two other scenes that are pretty much the same thing. He goes in, fights a couple, a group of people that uh, assault him, and they come and help him. Yeah. We just got to fix that writing. Everything will come together if you if you just fix that writing, get <laughs> a little it. more tidy with it. Tidy. That's why it's frustrating because all it takes is another person that in the writing room that says, oh, you know what? Let's... Fix that around. Filoni knows how to write. It frustrates me that you have two people involved in the show. Why isn't Filoni saying anything? Why isn't he saying, Filoni knows how to write, David. We know this. <laughs> how come he isn't telling Favreau, like, ah, let's tighten this up a bit? Because you know? it's that big swinging dick name. Yeah. Favreau. Maybe Filoni feels that way. Like, hey, shit, what do I fucking know? I'm like, I'm a cartoon <laughs> guy. This guy's fucking John Favreau. <laughs> so possibly... You're, you you actually might be right, Dave. But other than that, the episode, I mean, I'm anxious to see Pedro Pascal actually be able to act. Pedro Pascal is one of the reasons why when he was cast, I was so excited for The Mandalorian. That guy can act his ass off. And we're losing all this much needed nuance and understanding who he is as a person with that helmet on. Yes. We're losing point. so much. It, it worked for the first half of last season. But a lot of a, you can tell a lot about a character. You can learn a lot about a character through just their facial expressions when you're a good actor. Yes. We don't need to have a lot of talking. But we can learn so much based on how his body language is in terms of his facial expressions to, when people say something, when people talk to him, when he's looking at baby Yoda. We don't see any of that. And that's another reason why the show feels superficial at times because yeah. it doesn't feel like we have a connection to any character. It just feels very superficial. Yeah. There's a disconnect. Yeah. Baby Yoda definitely helps with that, with the yeah. empathy side and, and that connection. But we definitely need to see that with the Mandalorian soon. But you do realize that w w one of my problems with the last episode was the fact that 
it was it really made the Mandalorian look stupid with the with uh with his him dealing with baby Yoda during that oh, last episode. Oh, you bite your tongue again, Dave. <laughs> but if you were to actually let Pedro Pascal remove the helmet and just act, it would actually probably help that episode out. Yeah. Because you in that episode there's not much we can gauge of acting in that besides the very beginning with the mechanic and more or less everyone's just playing off of the practical effects without Pedro Pascal being able to actually emote facially looking at something. It kind of made the Mandalorian look weak as a character. Yeah. And that's what hurt it. Yeah, the show's not perfect, and I'm hoping that it, we can eventually get to an episode that we can say, yes, this is fucking 90, because the directing, the visual effects, the the writing all worked well together. Because the acting was actually pretty good this episode. Oh, yeah. Katie Sackhoff is amazing. Uh, the Imperial Captain, played by Titus uh, Welliver, is I mean, I, he's one of my favorite <laughs> actors, dude. So underrated. So underrated. Uh, having Giancarlo Esposito back as Moff Gideon, even in a hologram, is fucking terrifying and awesome. <laughs> I know. And he was in hologram form. Yeah. That was the amazing part. Is like you get so much just by seeing Moff Gideon, and it's because of Giancarlo Esposito. Yeah. Kevin Dorff as the deck officer. Even the freighter pilots were really good. So the acting was really good this episode. I just... Better. We just got to get that writing tight. That's all. So this is an improvement over the first two episodes of the season. So that's definitely a plus. And hopefully it'll just get better and better as we truck along here. All right. So this does bring us to the end of our discussion. I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you, David. Thank you. May the force be with us. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs>